deserter, a convict, a prison escapee, a forger, a womanizer, a fraudster, and yes, he even stole from a nun. <laughs> but then he got one simple idea that turned his life around, and it resulted responsible for reducing the crime in Paris and becoming the father of modern criminology. <laughs> there is no irony here. He was great at solving crimes because of his criminal past. Your stress squirrels are going to be highly distracted by this amazing story. sure this podcast doesn't always help you fall asleep. Sometimes you need a little extra help sleeping. Right wellness are the creators of a new natural remedy to help you fall asleep easier and sleep deeper. And they're also the sponsor of this episode. Right wellness can help you to find the relief you're looking for, thanks to their all-new tincture that uses the latest transformative hemp ingredient, CBN. CBN is a powerful, non-intoxicating, hemp-derived compound, helping thousands of people just like you to sleep better. Right Wellness wants to help you to get to sleep deserve. Save 20% for being a listener of this show. Simply go to rightwellness.co and use the promo code SLEEPBETTER. If you're not fully satisfied in the first 30 days, you'll get a full refund. Just go to rightwellness.co the promo code sleep better for your ease I put that link and the special code in the episode notes okay let's begin tonight's whisper video the following are select sections and details from the Wikipedia article Jean-Francois Badoc was a criminal turned crime fighter who was born in France in 1775. He became the founder and director of the first crime detection unit and head of the first known private detective agency. He is considered to be the father of modern criminology and the first private detective. Both the main criminal and the main police character in Les Miserables by Victor Hugo were modeled after the dog. These were, of course, the criminal Jean Valjean and the police inspector Javert. 
days after the theft, he was arrested and brought to the local jail. Only ten days later, he learned that his father had arranged his arrest to teach him a lesson. But even this didn't tame him. By age 14, he had stolen a large amount of money from the cash box of his own parents' bakery. He tried to embark to the Americas, but he was defrauded one night and found himself penniless. To survive, he worked for a group of traveling entertainers. Despite regular beatings, he worked hard enough to get promoted from stable boy to playing a Caribbean cannibal, and then he switched with a group of puppeteers. However, he was banished from them because he flirted with the young wife of his employer. He then worked some time as an assistant of a peddler. In 1791, he enlisted in the army, where he often brandished fencing skills from his youth. Within six months, he challenged 15 people to a duel, and two did not survive. Despite not being a model soldier and causing difficulties, he only spent 14 days in jail. During those two weeks, he helped a fellow inmate successfully escape. When France declared war against Austria in 1792, he participated in the Battle of Volmy. Later, he was promoted to corporal position, but during his promotion ceremony, he challenged a superior officer to a duel. The officer refused the duel, so the dog hit him. Striking a superior officer could have led to a death sentence, so he deserted and enlisted in another military unit. In 1793, he was identified as a deserter and soon after resigned from the army because he was no longer welcome. He was 18 years old when he returned home soon gained a reputation as a womanizer. Since his seductions often ended in duels, he ended up in prison until 1794. After prison, he spent most of his time in Brussels, which was then a hideout for crooks of all kinds. There, he supported himself by small frauds. One day, he was apprehended by the police, and as a deserter, he had no valid papers. When asked for his identity, he gave a fake name and then escaped while the police tried to confirm his statement. In 1795, he moved to Paris, where he squandered all his money entertaining women. At one point, he fell in love with a woman 
he used his contacts and his reputation in the criminal underworld to gain trust. He disguised himself as an escaped convict and immersed himself in the criminal scene to learn about planned and committed crimes. He even took part in felonies in order to suddenly turn on his partners and arrest them. When criminals eventually began to suspect him, he used disguises and assumed other identities to continue his work and throw off suspicion. At the end of 1811, he informally organized a plainclothes unit called the Security Brigade. The police department recognized value of these civil agents, and in 1812, the experiment was officially converted to a security police unit under the chief of police, with Vidoc as the leader. In 1813, Emperor Napoleon I signed a decree that made the brigade a state security police force. From then on, was called the Surete Nationale, which translated to the National Security, and often just called the Security or the Surete. By 1824, the Surete had 28 employees. In addition, there were eight people who worked secretly for the Surete. But instead of a salary, they received licenses for gambling halls. A major portion of Vidoc's employees were ex-criminals like himself. He even hired them fresh from the prisons. He employed these ex-convicts to procure information, to undertake searches, to make nightly rounds, assist the police with the searches and search warrants, and to go to all the favorite locations of thieves and pickpockets. Vidoc personally trained his agents, for example, in selecting the correct disguise based on the kind of job. He himself still went out hunting for criminals too. He would outsmart crooks by pretending to be a beggar. At one point, he even faked his own death. During 1817, he was involved in 811 arrests, including those of 15 assassins and 38 fences. Despite his position, as chief of a police authority, he remained a wanted criminal. His forgery conviction had never been fully dismissed. But lucky for him, his superiors repeatedly received and ignored requests from a prison director for justice. Finally, Vidoc received an official pardon from King Louis XVIII in 1817. 
17. By 1820, his national security methods and procedures had reduced crime in Paris substantially. At about that time, he started clashing with the new police chief. This new police chief was concerned that Vidocq's agents spent time in brothels and bars of ill repute. Vidocq explained that they had to do this to establish contacts and gather information. Over time, this resulted in too much friction, and in 1827, Vidocq resigned at the age of 52. Fortunately, though, he was a rich man, so he became an entrepreneur. He founded a paper factory and invented his own indelible ink and unalterable bond paper. He mainly employed released convicts, both men and women, which was seen as a local scandal and led to disputes. In addition, the machines cost money. The semi-skilled workers needed food and clothing, and the customers refused to pay marked prices with the argument that he had a seemingly cheap workforce. The company didn't last long. Vidocq went bankrupt in 1831. Luckily, a new police chief had been assigned during this time. Vidocq delivered a few useful tips to the police that helped them to solve a burglary and led to the arrest of eight people. As a result, the new police chief appointed him head of the Surete once again. But once again, his methods came under criticism. It was claimed that Vidocq and his agents were not credible as eyewitnesses, since most of them had criminal pasts. In 1832, he once again resigned. In 1833, he founded the Office of Information a company that was a mixture of a detective agency and a private police force. It is considered to be the first known detective agency. Once again, he predominantly hired ex-convicts. His squad initially consisted of 11 detectives, two clerks, and one secretary. They assisted business people and private citizens with cases against crooks, fraudsters, and bankruptcy artists. Occasionally, his squad did use illegal methods. In 1837, the police executed a search and seizure and confiscated over 3,500 files and documents. He was arrested and charged with three crimes, namely 
acquisition of money by deception, corruption of civil servants, and the pretension of public functions. In 1838, a judge dismissed all three charges, and he was free again. Vidoc returned to his new agency, and it flourished, but he continued to make enemies. In 1842, 75 police officers stormed his office building and arrested him and one of his agents. This time, the case seemed to be clear. He had made an illegal arrest and had demanded a bill of exchange for the embezzled money from the arrested fraudster. After a criminal trial, this 67-year-old Badak was sentenced to five years' imprisonment. But he won the appeal trial and was free once again. However, the harm was done. The lawsuit had been very expensive and his reputation was damaged. Business at his agency suffered. Over time, he withdrew more and more into private life and accepted only small cases every now and then. In 1857, he passed away at the age of 81 in his home in Paris. Today, he is remembered as the father of modern criminology. This is the end of tonight's Whisperpedia episode. I hope you are deeply relaxed. If you'd like to listen to many more Whisperpedia episodes right now, then peek at the episode notes or visit sleepwhispers.com or perhaps sleep.